And I want to talk to you this morning, uh, the title of this lesson will just be called Wonderful Savior. And here in Isaiah is uh, the foretelling of the coming of the Messiah. And he gives some real uh, neat descriptions uh, of what the Messiah will be, what it will be called, and maybe a few other things we'll see and point out here today. But anyways, we're going to talk today about the Wonderful Savior. So before we begin reading, let's ask God to, to bless this uh, reading of His Word and, and our study of it, and so that we'll see what He wants us to see today. So let's pray. Father, we come to You today in Jesus' name. God, we give You thanks and praise and honor today. We thank You for Your presence with us. We thank You for Your Word now, Lord. We thank You that You've given us the, the opportunity to gather together and hear from Your Word once again. And so, Father, we pray as we read here from the book of Isaiah, God, that You'll show us what we need to see. Give us the ability now to expand upon the Word that You've given us. And, Father, we pray for eyes that see and hearts that understand and ears that may hear exactly what You say to us today. And it will see the goodness and the greatness of our wonderful Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in Isaiah chapter 9, we're just going to read these first seven verses, but I just want to give you just a little bit of a background of what it's going to talk about here. Uh, let's read the first five verses, then I'm going to give you a little background of what's going on, and then as we read through it, you'll see uh, the, how interesting it is. Uh, in Isaiah 9 verse 1, it says this, God had been speaking in previous chapters about uh, the gloom and the doom and how Assyria was going to invade the land and all these different things. And this was happening somewhere around 700 years before Jesus came. Okay, so this, when Isaiah was prophesying, it was at a minimum of 700 years earlier than Jesus actually came. And so this is what he was saying uh, to God's people. So Isaiah 9 and verse 1, it says, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the days of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for a burning and fuel of fire. He's saying here that what's happened is that God had punished this region, God had punished this land, but the punishment was going to end and it was going to be brought, and it was going to be brought to end by a Messiah or a Savior coming to this land. And so I'm going to show you this real quick here, a couple couple different neat little maps that I put together. I just got them off of, offline. Let me stand back here so you can see a little better. These were the 12 tribes of Israel. These were how Moses described that they were supposed to be laid out when they got to the promised land. And, of course, we, we have the Dead Sea here, okay? And we have the Mediterranean Sea. And then we have the Sea of Galilee right here. I want us to, that's what we're going to pay attention to today is this little body of water here, the Sea of Galilee. And I want you to notice the two tribes that were, were, were positioned just to the, to the west of the Sea of Galilee. We just mentioned those names, Zebulun and Naphtali. These were how their tribes were to be laid out, okay? Here's a little bit closer closer view, and I wanted to show you something about this. As, the, as Isaiah began to talk about the land that dwelled in darkness and the shadow of death, and he'd been 
punishing them, this, that, and the other. I want you to think about if you lived in this region, even from the time when they were things were going good, look where it's positioned. Almost all the, the enemies to Israel, almost all the enemies of God's people, when they invaded them, they usually invaded them from the north. Sometimes they invaded them from this sea. And see, the Jezreel Valley runs right here just to the south of this region, okay? You lived in a war zone continually. Therefore, that's why Isaiah referred to them as the land of, of darkness, a land of shadow of death. They were the first one to catch the brunt of their enemies. <clears throat> when they would try to come in and, and take over or try to come in and take territory, these were the first people that they ran into. And so that's just an interesting thing that we see where Zebulun and Nephtali come together. Notice this. It's just to the west of the Sea of Galilee. Okay? I'll show you something else. Really interesting. Just as a history lesson, this was what the whole nation was supposed to be to be about. That's what God gave them. This is what it, uh, David and Solomon ruled over as one united kingdom. After Solomon's fall, the kingdom was divided into a northern section called Israel and a southern section called Judah. The northern section, look where the sea is, the Sea of Galilee once again. This was the first section, this was the first part to actually be carried away captive by pagan people, by ungodly uh, the Assyrian Empire. Okay, When they committed their sins and kept, kept on being an idolatrous and just kept on and kept on, God gave this northern kingdom to Assyria. He let them take them over. A lot of them were deported and everything. So at the time when this is happening, at the time of this prophecy, this section in the purple right here, all of this northern part of Israel, had become a serious. Look what's included in that. Sea of Galilee. So the people of Nephtali and Zebulun, they've been taken captive. At the time of this prophecy, it was being told, you're going to, you're going to be punished. But the punishment's not going to be forever. And we sing those words of what's going to happen. There's going to be a joyous time arise. There's going to be a Savior come. There's going to be a Messiah come. And we're going to talk about some of His attributes today. But this is very interesting. Right here. All of this had been taken away. Hezekiah is, is listening to Isaiah. And of course Isaiah is prophesying to the whole nation. And Isaiah said, this little land up here, the Galilee, that's why he already refers to it as the Galilee of the Gentiles. They done took it over. Didn't belong to Israel anymore. But he said, Upon them a great light has shined, those that dwell in the shadow of darkness. So you see, there were people that constantly dwelt in a place where there was conflict, there was trouble, there was turmoil, always. But God's given them a promise here. Very interesting, isn't it? I'll show you this next slide here in just a few minutes. Deliverance was promised to the people who dwelt in that region of Galilee. Isaiah here prophesies that the people who live in the shadow of darkness would see a great light and the light would shine on them. And it was going to be an occasion for a great joy and a celebration because the yoke and the rod of the oppressor would be broken. The people he was prophesying to fully understood that they were under the yoke of an oppressor and that they were in a bad situation. We have to remember this though. It's very crucial for us to remember. How we look at this prophecy here and how we interpret this thing will, dis will determine whether people will believe Jesus was the Messiah or whether he wasn't. A lot of people look at this Messiah coming was supposed to be an earthly deliverer 
and take away the, the rule of the, the pagan kings and all that kind of stuff. But we have to understand something very important, and I want to share that with you. We have to remember that the reason that the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, which is called Galilee, the reason they were in bondage was because of the multitude of the sins of their forefathers. God dealt with them and warned them and dealt with them and warned them and warned them and warned them and warned them. And he said, finally, okay, you don't believe me. I told you if you continue to do this, I'll let you be taken away captive. And it happened. God gave them over to ungodly nations because of their sins and specifically and especially the sin of idolatry. Worshiping false gods. Setting up idols and worshiping them. Making trees and rocks into images and worshiping them. So the oppressor here, and this is where we have to understand what Isaiah was talking about, what the Lord was sharing through him. The oppressor here was not Assyria who was ruling over them at the time. They thought it was. A lot of the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day thought, well, that's the Roman government because the Romans were in charge at that time. That wasn't the oppressor that, that was talking about that was going to be broken. So it wasn't Assyria who ruled over them at the time of this prophecy, nor was it the Babylonians who came after them, nor the Medes and the Persians who came after them and ruled over them, nor the people of Greece and Alexander the Great. It wasn't them, nor was it the Romans who were ruling in the days that Jesus was alive on earth. That's not the yoke of the oppressor that God was talking about was going to be broken. Because the reason that those pagan nations were in charge anyway was because of a greater oppression and that was called sin. The oppressor was the devil who ruled over them because of sin. The Bible says that when we sin, we make the devil our ruler. Sin becomes our ruler and we become its slave. And that's what had happened to these people. But God had promised them 700 years earlier, I'm going to break that yoke. And a great light's going to shine in this dark place where you live. So God's telling them 700 years ahead of time that the devil's yoke would be broken and the region of Galilee would see it firsthanded. The people in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Now I want to show you something before we move on. Remember what we talked about? We were going to concentrate on this. Remember what was just to the west, Zebulun, Nephtali, specified here, just to the west, where these two places kind of come together. Here's the Sea of Galilee once again. Look just to the west. Do you think that's a coincidence? Or did God know exactly what he was talking about? What did they refer to Jesus as? Even the people who didn't believe he was Messiah. Jesus of Nazareth. Because that's where he grew up. Upon them a great light has shined. Hallelujah. Notice this too. First miracle in Canaan. He went to Capernaum a lot. He talked about chores and he drew several of his disciples out of Bethsaida. This was Jesus' hometown, his home turf. And we're going to find out in a minute the very first things he did was all here. The great light had shined upon them. Amen. 
So in verse 6 and 7, what's the occasion of this oppressor being broken off of their shoulders? What's the occasion of all this joy? It's because of this one who's to be born. Now think about this a moment. He's speaking this over 700 years before Jesus arrived. Look what it says in verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Notice capital at the beginning of child and son. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And verse 7 says, Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David over his kingdom to order it and establish it with just judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The Messiah is here described as a child who was to be born hailing from the land of Galilee. Upon you a great light has shined. Where was it that Jesus made his first public statement? It was in the land of Galilee. When he went into that synagogue in Nazareth, and he read Luke chapter 4 out of the scriptures, and what did he say then? When he finished, he said, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Wow. The great light had shined. 700 years after it had been prophesied, God was bringing it to pass exactly like He said it would. Remember what one of Jesus' followers would say? His name was Nathaniel, I believe. And Philip had said, Hey, come, we found the Messiah. We know who He is. You remember what Nathan said? He said, Couldn't there anything good come from Nazareth? So even the people around the land of Galilee didn't get along with each other, Right? They thought Nazareth was the bottom of the barrel. Philip said, come and see. Amen. This Messiah would also be God's son. These five attributes we're going to talk about in a minute shows us that he's God in the flesh. So he would be God's son and he would set up a kingdom over the house of David and rule forever. He would be the one who instituted a government of peace established through judgment and justice and this government would constantly increase. This would all be done by the zeal of the Lord of hosts. In other words, it was God's ultimate and passionate purpose to make it happen. As verse 7 closes out, notice how it says that. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. You ever had zeal for anything? <clears throat> I got tickled. We were tickled at Nathan back this summer. He he was working on his old truck and he's a fixing that thing up. And every waking spare moment he had and every waking spare dollar he had, he was spending on it and he was going to get it fixed. He's out there working at night, working with it cold, right? Working after we got home from work. He had a zeal for it. When you have a zeal for something, nothing can interrupt it. The Bible says that God here has a zeal that his Messiah was going to come and he was going to do these things that he said he was going to do. Hallelujah. God had a zeal. You see, if we're determined as human beings, when we have zeal for something, Michelle gets tickled at me and I have a project. I don't have as many projects as I used to because I don't have as much energy. I get tired and fizzle out. But when I have a project, she says she gets tickled at me and she'll she'll look at me in, in the middle of the night. I'll be laying awake two o'clock in the morning looking at the ceiling thinking about my project. 
thinking about what the next step is, what I need to do next. She'll say, you're thinking about it again, aren't you? I said, you don't know what I'm thinking about. She said, yeah, you do. But she knows I have a zeal for it. So if we as mere human beings can be totally consumed when we have zeal for something, what does it say about God that He now has a zeal that He's going to bring His Messiah into this earth and that His Messiah is going to conquer the enemy? Amen? Hallelujah. The Messiah is described by five attributes. We read those. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So in other words, <clears throat> the Lord even said that these attributes would, attributes would be what His name is. He said His name will be Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. So in other words, the coming Messiah would embody all five of these attributes. And today I just want to talk about the first one. Wonderful. How many knows Jesus is Wonderful. Jesus is wonderful. He's wonderful because He's shown Himself to be wonderful to us. But even to those He hasn't shown Himself to, they don't realize it yet, but one day they will, that He's wonderful. Amen? So when it says that this coming Messiah would be called wonderful, what's it saying? I thought about this this week. <coughs> Excuse me. He was going to be a man of wonders or wondrous works. Described with the word wonderful, which is a word reserved for God Himself. You remember the, the, the child that was born who delivered Israel, his name was Samson? His mother and father had a visitation from God, and they told him, told them, God told them that they were going to have a son and he would deliver Israel. And he'd be a Nazarite from the womb that she wasn't to drink any strong drink and they weren't to cut his hair, all these different things. But they wanted to know what his name was. Said this messenger. Turns out it was God Himself. They just thought it was an angel to start with. He said, Tell us what's your name. He said, Why do you ask my name, seeing that it's wonderful? The name wonderful is reserved for God Himself. But God is declaring here that this Messiah, this child who's to be born, this son that I'm going to give you, his name will be wonderful. Hallelujah. Think about this. <clears throat> Moses, Elijah, and Elisha, maybe a few others we could throw in there, they performed wonders. They did miracles. Moses lifted up his staff and what? The Red Sea parted. That's a wonder. That's a miracle. But he was in no way referred to as wonderful. Amen. His name was Moses. But Jesus' name is wonderful because he's a man of wonders. When he was here, wonders were everywhere he was at. Amen? This child and this son who was to come would embody the word wonderful. He would be an unusually gifted person with miraculous abilities. You know, one of the, all the miracles that Jesus did are amazing to me. But you know the ones that really amazed me, two things really amazed me about Jesus, that he could raise the dead, and that he can know your thoughts. <laughs> Several places in the Bible says that he knowing their thoughts, knowing their hearts. Wow, that's amazing. But I've just made a list of a few things here that I'm just going to share with you <clears throat> to talk about how Jesus was wonderful. And I did not set out to make it seven points, but it turned out to be seven points, which is God's number of perfection and completion. Anyway, here we go. The first point being... 
Jesus being wonderful. Of course, we could also say that, wow, look, just look at it on a map and you can see God said right, right there is where this light's going to shine. But anyways, the lawyers and the teachers of the Old Testament Scriptures were amazed at Jesus' understanding. Remember when he was 12 years old? He was there asking questions and answering questions and talking with them and they were amazed that someone that young, 12 years old, knew that much about the Scriptures. It says that all those who heard Him were astonished that a 12-year-old had such great wisdom and understanding. That's in Luke chapter 2. Of course, secondly, another thing that made Jesus wonderful, His first public statement, He made a wonderful statement. In Nazareth, in the synagogue where He was brought up, it was a custom where the, 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 the person in charge of the synagogue, they would uh, bring up the scroll of the Scriptures pre-picked out, pre-planned or whatever, the person that was going to read it, they didn't know what they were going to read that day. It was just a common practice that if you wanted to go up and read before the, the congregation, they would hand it out, lay it out for you and tell you, okay, read here. And guess what Jesus read that day? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And you know the rest. Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's a wonderful statement. Some of them it made mad. Some of them rejoiced. But regardless, the light was shining. The light was turned on that day, wasn't it? Amen? Jesus basically, in other words, said, Isaiah 9, 1-7 has been fulfilled and the Messiah has arrived. Thirdly, the first sign that Jesus performed was where? In Cana, a town in Galilee. We saw it on the map just, ago, just right up from his hometown. There he turned water into wine. Find that in the Gospel of John. His name would be wonderful. Whoever, who else has done things like that? Turn water into wine. Hadn't been done. Fourthly, <clears throat> with power and authority, Jesus spoke. And demons fled out of people. Jesus would come into the presence of a person who was possessed by evil spirits. And in many cases, those evil spirits would start crying out, What are you here to punish us before the time? Thou holy son of God, thou son of David. What are you doing? They recognized him. That was a wonder. And then when he would just speak and say, Go, they left wasn't no big ritual he had to go through and do these crosses and all. He just said, go. That's a wonder. Amen. Showed his authority. It says that the people who witnessed these things, they were so astonished because they'd never heard or seen anything like that before. Wow. Fifthly, Jesus demonstrated miraculous abilities that defied the laws of nature. What do you think about this? A miraculous catch of fish when he was gathering his disciples to himself, right? They'd been out fishing. He said, hey, cast out there and put your net on this side. Well, we've done tried this. That. We'll just do it. They did it and they about sunk the boat. That's in Luke chapter 5. He fed 5,000 men plus women and children with only five loaves and two little fish. And he fed all that multitude of people and had leftovers. 
He demonstrated wondrous power over the laws of nature, of sowing and reaping, and all the things that we all, everybody else has to follow. He spoke, and it was. Hallelujah. What about when he calmed the boisterous sea in Matthew chapter 8? They thought they were going to sink and they were going under. These were guys who were familiar with being on the waters. Me, I'm not familiar with the waters and any little bit of wave, I think I'm sinking. So I'm a little skittish. But people who are very familiar with being on the waters, when they get scared, you know something's bad. They have played... Uh, recordings of the wreck of that Edmund Fitzgerald from back in the 1970s. These guys, this captain was a seasoned, hardened guy. He'd been through storms. He'd been through everything. One of the last few things they said, they knew that that boat was in trouble because he said, we're taking on water. And that was very unusual. We said, we thinks we're breaking up. So when a person who makes their living on the sea, when they get scared, that means the storm's bad. And that storm was bad, and they thought they were going to sink. And what did Jesus say? Peace be still. The waters went calm. His name will be called Wonderful. Hallelujah. Jesus also healed people of incurable diseases. It's one thing to say, well, I healed somebody of a cold because we know in a few days a cold gets better anyway. But Jesus healed people of things incurable. There were no remedies. There were no medicines. There were no surgeries. There were nothing that could be done to help those people other than for the Master to speak and touch and heal them. Over and over again. A couple examples I point, I just point out to you today. He healed a paralyzed man in Luke chapter 5. Paralyzed. We read that and we just go on. Somebody paralyzed. No movement of their arms or legs or maybe both. That's a hopeless case. But Jesus healed him. Amen. He healed a child that had epilepsy. He healed the nobleman's son who was at the very point of death. And they determined later that at the very moment Jesus said, go away, your son will be healed. That was the moment he started getting better. His name shall be called Wonderful. He healed a blind man at the pool of Siloam. I love how the Bible writes that and records it. Said he went away blind. He went and washed and he came back seeing. Because Wonderful had told him what to do. Because Wonderful had touched his eyes. Amen? Amen. And then, of course, seventh. He raised people from the dead. And you know, even in raising people from the dead, the naysayers will say, well, maybe they weren't dead. Right? Maybe they were just passed out. Maybe they were just unconscious. He raised the widow's son in Luke chapter 7, but it had just happened. A lot of people would say, well, eh, maybe he just wasn't dead yet. Jairus' daughter, he raised her from the dead. You could say the same thing about that. You know what the naysayers say. Well, maybe it was just a coma or something. Well, then what about Lazarus? Four days dead. And Jesus came and said, what? 
roll the stone away. You see, Wonderful showed up there at Lazarus' tomb. And this was one of the last things Jesus did before He was crucified. He was on His way into Jerusalem when this happened. And He come to Lazarus' tomb and said, roll it back. They argued with Him. No, Lord, He's been dead four days. It'll be a horrible stench. Did I not say that I'm the resurrection and the life? Lazarus, come forth. And He came out. Wonderful. Spoke. And Lazarus was raised to the life again. Verse 7 says this. Something else I want to point out before we close. Of the increase of His government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over His kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. It appeared that when Jesus died that His kingdom would soon come to an end. It appeared that once those who followed Him and walked with Him and seen and witnessed the things He did, it appeared that if we can get those guys out of the way, then that kingdom will surely fade away. Well, maybe one generation past those, then if we can get them out of the way, and once they die off, His kingdom will end. But you see, His kingdom doesn't end. You and I are testimony to that today. You mean 2,000 years later and people still believe in Jesus? Still believe that His name is wonderful? I do. And I know you do too. Of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. Jesus' name is wonderful even now. It's the name above all names. And He is still the embodiment of the word wonderful. He worked wonders while He was here walking on the earth. And He's still working wonders today. My son sitting here shouldn't be here. Had an accident on a four-wheeler and within millimeters of of cutting the main artery. Surgeon said, very fortunate. My daughter may not be in here today, but she should not be here in the capacity that she is. You flip over a vehicle and do the things that happen and only end up with bruises. Brother Charlie's got some granddaughters that shouldn't be here today if we go by the laws of physics, the accident they had. Just a couple examples. That wonderful is still alive. And that wonderful is still the Messiah and the Savior of working wonders. Amen. His power is not diminished. We have all witnessed and experienced His wonders in this world. Hallelujah. But the greatest wonder that Jesus still performs, that He was performing back then, is not the healing of the sick. It's not the raising of the dead. It's not all these things. But it's to save people from their sins. It's to break the yoke of the oppressor. Because remember, the oppressor was the devil. He's still shining the light into our darkness. You could say we dwell in the shadow of death in a place of darkness. But He's still shining the light. And He's still saving souls. We've seen it right here in the last few weeks. People will come forward. 
I want forgiven of my sins. I want this from the Lord. I want to rededicate my life. Whatever the case may be, people are still coming to this one called Wonderful. And his kingdom is still going and still going and still going. His kingdom is still going on and increasing. Where's the Roman Empire now? Where's the Persian Empire? Where's the Babylonian Empire? Where are they at? They're reduced to a little capital city in a little small place on a map. Where's the kingdom of heaven? It's everywhere on this globe where people call on Jesus. Think about that a minute. His kingdom and his government and his peace, there should be no end. His kingdom is still going on and increasing. The kingdoms of this world rise up. And boy, they're really something for a while, aren't they? And then they fade away. Their kings and their leaders and their people are what? Soon forgotten. Do you know anybody who lived in the land of Babylon other than Nebuchadnezzar? Nope. But I bet you know some Christians who belong to King Jesus. Amen? The rulers and their people are soon forgotten, but the kingdom of heaven continues forever. Amen? Amen. The zeal of the Lord of hosts is what performed these wondrous works of Jesus the Messiah, and His zeal to perform wondrous works today has not diminished. His name is still wonderful. Amen? I'm thankful that He saved me of my sins. I'm thankful that He saved you from your sins. I'm thankful that He leads you and guides you every day. I'm thankful for the miracles that He has worked in your life. I'm thankful for the times He hasn't worked miracles. Because if He's not, there's still some purpose in, your, in, his, in that with your life. <clears throat> his name is wonderful. That's just one attribute. We'll talk about the others in the next few weeks or so. But this one born... <clears throat> The son, the child in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. He's wonderful. He was wonderful then. He's wonderful now. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we have given the words which you've given us today. Oh, Father, hallelujah. We thank you for Jesus. She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. We thank you for this wonder-working Savior. All the things that he did to prove and demonstrate that he was who he said he was, that he was God in the flesh, come to save us from our sins. We thank you, Lord, that he's broken the yoke of oppression of sin out of our lives. Oh, Lord, it does try to come in. It does try to aggravate us. But, God, you've given us the victory through Jesus. And we thank you for this one who you said. You said in your word, his name shall be called Wonderful. And we thank you for this wonderful Savior today. Father, I pray for each and every one. If, if maybe they've drifted from the shore, if they've drifted away from this one who's called Wonderful, that today they'll call upon him once again. Those of us who 
who hold fast and hold close to you, Lord. Help us to, to even more so realize today that your name is wonderful, that you be called wonderful. You are the embodiment of the word wonderful, the word reserved for God and God alone. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came and saved us from our sins, that you came to be our Messiah. And we thank you that you seat, are seated now on that throne with the Father. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah that you're still saving souls, that your kingdom has not ended, but it's still going on and it is increasing day by day by day. Everyone who comes to Christ, everyone who accepts Christ, furthers your kingdom and increases your kingdom. All the kingdoms of this earth have faded away and will fade away, but thy kingdom remains forever. Thy scepter is a scepter of righteousness forever and ever and ever. We thank you for that today, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray also that you keep each and every person safe to the next appointed time, and may we go forth rejoicing today that our Savior is wonderful and is still doing wondrous works in our lives and the lives of others. We pray all this today in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen.